You're listening to Past and Present, the Colonial Williamsburg podcast. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. Sometimes the best thing about studying history is learning that we're really not very different than our forebears. It's possible that this is most true when it comes to vanity. 18th century men and women put a great deal of time and study into the art of beauty. Meg Brown has made a special study of the cosmetic products and techniques that made the 18th century beautiful. Meg, thank you for being here today. It's my pleasure. Well, let's start by talking about what a cosmetic is in the 18th century. What are they using? What are they using it for? Cosmetic is basically powders, pomades, and perfumery. It can cover household uh, fragrances as well. Uh, if you have a closed up room that smells dank or musty, in a lot of the different books there's different burning perfumes to help clear out a room. And we have to think about them a little bit differently too. They have a different ideal of beauty than we do. What is the, what is the 18th century ideal that every woman aspires to? The 18th century ideal is really not to have a tan. <laughs> We're so used to having tans here in uh, modern times. Uh, but tanning often meant that you were a worker, that you were outside a lot, and that's not the ideal. You want to be someone who has someone else to do the work for you, truly, in the 18th century. So clear, white complexion, um, avoiding freckles, unfortunately, um, any sort of sunspots or anything of that nature. You really want to have a nice, clear complexion, a little bit of uh, roses to your cheeks. Um, a rose and cream complexion is often how it's described. And uh, dark eyes and darker eyebrows to help set off your eyes. We're not using any sort of cosmetic on the eyes at this point. At least French and English culture isn't. Uh, and darker hair actually tends to set off the lighter complexion. So those are the ideals of beauty, but of course most of us can't live up to those. So that's why you have so many different receipt books to help you live up to these ideals of beauty. If the ideal is to have very white skin, very dark hair and dark eyes, it, it must follow that some of the primary cosmetics are skin whiteners and hair darkeners. <laughs> we are using uh, different sorts of cosmetics. Uh, first, you need, a, you need a hat when you go out in the sun. That's the first cosmetic. Uh, there are different washes using strawberries and gin, strawberries and white wine that are meant to clear the complexion and keep it light. There are different cosmetics that are based on lead and paints that can be put onto the skin. I haven't found much evidence of that here in Virginia, but in London and high society, in France especially, you're seeing this white cosmetic. It's called Ceruse, and uh, it's of course highly toxic. We know that today. Uh, when it was first starting to be used uh, during Queen Elizabeth I's reign, uh, folks weren't really sure that it could cause such damage, but by this point in the 1770s, doctors are recommending against using the white lead cosmetic. Uh, those that made the cosmetic, the workmen, complained of uh, having dizziness, having nausea, having headaches, primarily because they were the ones pounding the lead down into a powder. So the, everyone by this point knows that this fashion is probably detrimental to your health, but there are still several folks that end up using it. 
What are we using to darken hair? You, and also you mentioned darkening eyebrows to, to frame the eyes. What, what are the recipes for that? Uh, darkening the hair, one of the uh, best ones I've found um, that I've experimented with is a uh, black walnut and white vinegar hair dye. It's using the outer husk of the black walnut, which uh, yields a wonderful dark, uh, almost black dye, and boiling it in the white vinegar and then uh, anointing the hair with it. The longer you keep it on, the darker the hair gets. And as far as eyebrows are concerned, uh, one very successful receipt I've found is uh, using cork and cloves burnt together and then ground up fine. Elderberries are also used, uh, black lead combs are used as well, but uh, the books say that the uh, cork and cloves is the best. And what about if you have very thin or sort of non-existent eyebrows? Thin or non-existent eyebrows, you can purchase mouse hide eyebrows. <laughs> as odd as that might sound to us, uh, they are not frequent. They are made fun of quite a bit, but they are available. Uh, I have not seen them here in Virginia, but there are lots of evidences of them in French and English culture. Uh, there's a wonderful poem by Matthew Pryor, I believe is, his name is, and uh, talking about uh, a lady peeling off her eyebrows and setting them on her dressing table at night, and the kitten runs away with them as fees belonging to his prey. Uh, so there are different alternatives out there, how frequently they're used, we don't really have a lot of evidence of. And often in portraiture, um, we see these beauty marks, these black, perfect circular black marks. How are they achieving that? Well, they're patches, or uh, mouches is another word for them. They're made with either leather, uh, fabric, or paper. They can be black or a dark scarlet color. They can be any shape or size. And uh, they're stuck on with mastic, which is a gum resin, essentially. And, uh, or spittle is also used. Uh, there are many different uh, documents uh, talking about these different patches. Uh, entire celestial bodies going across a lady's forehead. Uh, different patches in different areas were significant. Uh, if a lady had a patch in one area of her face, she might be a Tory. If she had one pa a patch on the other side of her face, she might be a Whig. Uh, so they have political leanings as well. Uh, so they can be any shape or size, including a coach and six as well. You mentioned that the um, ceruse, the paste that you apply to your face to whiten it, is, contains toxic lead. Do we have other common ingredients that are used that are also now understood to be toxic? Well, there's mercury is used. Um, there are different blushes or rouges that contain a mercury supplement. And so we know now that those aren't so good for you. Uh, there's a lot of different, uh, different ingredients that we try to avoid today. There are a lot of things that we don't do anymore, but there must be some things that we still do or that we still do in a very similar way. What do we do today that's really similar to the way it was done in the 18th century? As far as cos cosmetics are concerned, it's a ritual. And for I know for many ladies, myself included, uh, it is a ritual in the morning. You get up, you get dressed, and then you start putting on the cosmetic. In the 18th century, it's very much the same idea. 
But if you were someone of a higher level in society, it's also considered a very social time as well. You could have friends, you could have family visit and uh, socialize with them as you're having your hair done, as you're, uh, as you're putting on your cosmetic. You've done a lot of research about cosmetic use in the 18th century. Mm -hmm. What do you find is being used in Williamsburg in, the, in that colonial period? Well, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of diary entries on it. We don't have a lot of letters saying so-and-so was looking this way or that way. Uh, so what we have to base this on is a lot of different books that are available for cosmetic. Even uh, a lot of the cookbooks of the period ha contain cosmetic recipes for perfumes and uh, especially balms. So those are available for research and uh, also newspaper advertisements. In the newspaper advertisements, you're seeing different waters available, such as lavender water and rose water available, orange flower water, the list goes on. I have seen some evidence of uh, white lead being sold in the different stores around Williamsburg. I can't identify, however, that it was being used for cosmetic as opposed to painting. Uh, what's the most common cosmetic used in the 18th century? I would say probably different balms for the skin. Uh, Perfumes are used quite frequently as well. You see those very heavily advertised in newspapers. Uh, but balms such as lip balms or skin balms for uh, different skin troubles are very frequently used, though washes for the skin are frequently used as well, such as the rosemary and white wine wash. And that recipe seems to start in the uh, 16th century and it doesn't change all the way up through the 19th century. I see it happening quite frequently. It's one of those that was probably passed down from mother to daughter to keep the skin clear. Is there an 18th century product that you've swapped out for a 21st century one that you prefer better? Actually, yes. Um, as much as this is going to make you cringe, the Hogslard balms are wonderful for the skin. I get very dry skin in the wintertime. And uh, I've made several batches of them for my friends. And they all remarked that they were a little bit nervous about using it at first, but afterwards they wouldn't use anything else. If somebody wants to research these receipts and these techniques, what would you recommend as a resource for them? If anyone has any interest in a particular book to get started, I would recommend The uh, Toilette of Flora. You can find it actually on Google Books, and that is the foremost cosmetic book of the 18th century. You've cooked up a lot of these different concoctions yourself just to test them out and try them out. As you try to recreate those products in your kitchen at, at home, does anything strike you about the links that they went to for beauty? Are they more excessive than the links we go to today? What, what do you find as you're immersing yourself in that world? I don't find it, um, I don't find it excessive because I believe today a lot of people use a great deal of uh, cosmetic just the same as they did in the 18th century. I find that uh, I have done a lot of uh, the cosmetic receipts by cooking them over the fire, as they would have done, and certainly over my stovetop is a lot easier to do. Uh, it's more the amount of time that's involved in the cosmetic receipts, where such where culture so used to having things instantly, to wait for the different pomades, the different perfumes to be ready. Um, that's something that was a little bit uh, new to me. Uh, there's a rose vinegar that's used that I had to wait 40 days 
just to smell. And I was so excited, but I had to keep it corked up. There's a Four Thieves vinegar that had to wait for six months before I could uncork it to smell it. So I think it, the waiting game is the hardest part of it. <laughs> Meg, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you very much. <laughs> to support the podcast and Colonial Williamsburg programs, visit history.org slash donate. We love hearing from you. Visit history.org slash podcasts and click comment at the top of the page to drop us a line. <laughs>